All right, Greg, what we're showing right now on the screen is a picture of the Pope wearing his COVID mask. And so you were mentioning some things about Richard talking about the the Vatican globalist agenda and things of that nature. And you also mentioned the pandemic and things of that nature. So uh, here's the Pope with his mask on. And uh, I know because you run the Berean Beacon website, you also put out a digital a digital newsletter, uh, the Berean Beacon, where you're giving people updates on things that have been going on. And your expertise right now, since this pandemic started, uh, has been a study of COVID-19 and uh, the Vatican ties to that and other things, uh, Fauci and other other related subjects you you have a, no, a lot of knowledge about this and available newsletters that you put out concerning this so uh what can you start telling us i mean just kind of start at the beginning of what got you into this kind of research and then uh where is it taking you just kind of walk us through all the material that you've come across well, uh, well, obviously, you know, uh, back in March of last year, you know, it took everyone by surprise, at least not, but not everyone, but it, you know, the majority of folks in America were really taken in by what was happening. Um, and then uh, early on, though, there was a lot of information that was working its way out through the internet, mostly with a focus on Bill Gates with his um, ongoing vaccine agenda that was uh, started well before you know, the, uh, the pandemic uh, but what it started for me was when someone had sent me a photograph and he was trying to show me all about what Bill Gates has been up to. And, but next to Bill Gates, they, they were all dressed in dark black suits. And I was curious. I, I was like, who are these other guys? And uh, they couldn't tell me. So I began a, a web search and I found out one was Dr. Anthony Fauci and the other one was Dr. Francis Collins. And I thought, well, who are these guys that are so close with Bill Gates? And as I began to peel back those layers, uh, it was, I just saw the hands of the Jesuits throughout these men's lives, the, especially with Dr. Fauci, you know, all the way from his childhood up until his uh, doctorate degree, he was trained by the Jesuits and he would uh, boast of his influence from the Jesuit education as being the most important thing in who he is today. And, uh, you see that he's had his hand in uh, civil government in the United States of America since Ronald Reagan. And, um, and then as I began to research the other gentleman, Dr. Francis Collins, and this was a real can of worms because of his professed uh, uh, being in a professed evangelical where he actually was actively involved in propagating science and the evangelical faith and, and really trying to reverse uh, some of the wonderful ministries that have exposed the lies of evolution. He's been, he'd been trying to counter these lies through an organization that he started called BioLogos. But Francis Collins is the head of the National Institutes of Health. He is the top dog. He's Francis, uh, or excuse me, he's Dr. Fauci's boss. So he's really at the head of all these things in Washington but uh, Dr. Francis Collins was also appointed on, uh, by the Pope uh, onto the Pontifical Academy of Science. He, he holds a chair there. 
So when, when I started to see all these tentacles coming from the Vatican, it really, I felt that the people needed to be warned. The Christian folks needed to understand who is behind this agenda. It helps in making decisions as this uh, thing has been unveiled over the years, especially with the vaccine agenda and, uh, and how Francis Collins has been actively trying to recruit evangelical leaders to get people on board with taking a, it's actually an experimental drug. It's a shot. It's, it has nothing to do with a vaccination. And I just felt it was important for God's people to see that and to see the hand of the Vatican. And having been tutored by Richard Bennett for many years, he kept warning how the Vatican would control through civil law and civil magistrates. So it's going to come through civil government. And a lot of people want to pin the tail on uh, Bill Gates, but Bill Gates he could not get anything done had he not had the, those in, in the American government uh, to carry out any vaccine agenda. And he, he has those with Fauci, with Francis Collins, and then obviously Robert Redfield, who is the head of the CDC, who's behind most of the pandemic as far as the social distancing, the masking, and uh, our research on Dr. Redfield showed that he was a Jesuit trained uh, and even getting his doctorate degree, medical degree from Georgetown University. So uh, all these roads lead back to Rome. And um, that's, that's really what was driving our desire at the Brian Beacon to get this information out. A lot of it was fluid. It was changing. It was being uncovered as we were beginning to write articles. But now we're seeing a, a lot of that being exposed in mainstream media now which uh, we've, we've been encouraged by that to see others realizing the, the, the seat behind the pandemic and Dr. Fauci, and uh, hopefully it'll branch over to the other men like uh, Francis Collins, as well as Robert Redfield. Now, <clears throat> for the sake of, you know, our viewers, there's people watching us in this broadcast that uh, may not have the kind of understanding level that we've got, so could you explain to the viewers that are less informed, who are the Jesuits <laughs> and what, what do they believe and what's their history and all that good stuff to help out those people that you, they've been hearing you say the word Jesuit, but they don't really know. And so this show is supposed to be educational as well to help people learn some stuff. So go ahead. Well, the, the Jesuits um, are just an, an order a priestly order within the Roman church, just as Richard was uh, in an order in the priesthood, all priests, uh, not all priests, but some get into orders. Some are uh, local priests that are, have not joined a religious order, but the Jesuit order was established um, by Loyola, the priest who started the Jesuit order back in the 1530s to counter what was going on in the reformation and as you know, the Reformation uh, is, it was the spread of the gospel throughout Europe. It was the ending of the Dark Ages, the, uh, the time when the Roman church had uh, ruled the lands for 1,500 years, known as also as the Dark Ages. But the Reformation was a powerful force for the, the church, uh, for the spread of Christianity, and now the propagation of the gospel. So the Jesuits were established as a counter-reformation. And as America was established as a nation, the Jesuits soon moved in to thwart the work of the Reformation. They infiltrated 
uh, institutions of learning. They started at institutions of learning. They worked their way into uh, social uh, um, avenues such as hospitals and public schools. And their infiltration is pretty deep within the Washington, D.C. Um, but the Jesuits are, have been kicked out of uh, nations throughout the world. There's over 60 nations that had removed the Jesuits because of their political intrigue. They, uh, they seek to divert and cause division and to destroy uh, nations that are, especially nations that are doing the work of God and spreading the gospel. And uh, they've been very active down in South America to stop the works of uh, uh, missionaries in South America and cause division. And really, they bring in Marxism to, uh, to destroy nations. And that's what we've discovered over this last year of the uh, pandemic, that it was a multifaceted attack on our nation to bring America down uh, with the rioting in the streets, the uh, social justice warriors, uh, as well as the BLM. They're funding the BLM. They fund the social justice. If you do a simple Google search, you will find, if you type in uh, Jesuits, you'll find that it's their universities that actually were training up teachers to go out into the public schools to bring about this teaching. So we have a couple articles on our web uh, site that address the, the work of the Jesuits and the social justice movement and BLM. But uh, the, the, uh, the Jesuits have a, uh, a hand uh, in what's happening around the world and especially in the destruction of America as we see it right now. So I, I don't know if that uh, was a clear enough explanation. It's fine. Uh, the good news is that Pope Francis has nothing to do with the Jesuits, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he's the king Jesuit. There, there he is. He's our, the first Jesuit pope. And uh, he's, um, it's, it's, it really is. Uh, Richard had warned about this man for so much. So I, I, kept, I was concerned why he had spent so much time dealing with Pope Francis. But now I see his hand in all of this past year around the world. And that's, you know, you made a comment about him wearing his mask, but he's been out propagating the vaccination, you know, in a, in a vaccine, that's not even a vaccine, but a drug that's made with aborted fetal tissues, experimental and having his own employees in the Vatican being forced to take this shot in order to stay employed. We're seeing that same tactic being employed around uh, uh, businesses in America, too. It's really, we're living in perilous times. And uh, I think it's a call to the churches and to church leaders to speak out against this agenda. And it doesn't take a lot of research to find uh, these facts. It's, it, it's interesting, as we get this video edited for the public, I'll be sticking in some of Richard's uh, Brand Beacon articles that he that you've been referring to. I'll just throw them up on the screen, show that they exist, and we have copies of those. And uh, if any viewer wants uh, copies of some of Richard's uh, stuff concerning the agenda and the things you've been mentioning, uh, we can make those available through Christian Answers. And uh, anyway, so because I because I relate to what you, whenever you mention something about Richard and his articles and research he was doing it, he had he had it pegged long ago on uh, but of course i even i don't even think richard though could have imagined what we're what we've seen you know since this whole thing broke out yeah no it's just it's it's like a compute com complete shift and 
Uh, you know, Richard had spent years exposing the ecumenical activities of uh, Chuck Colson with the ECT early on. And, um, and it was all about building up to the, the, the Reformation 500 where the Catholic Church came out and said, it's complete now. We're all united in Christ once again. And the Reformation's over. And then then all of a sudden, boom, we get this whole earth-shattering great reset that's in the process of taking place. And uh, it, I, Richard would certainly have been busy writing about it now had he been here, but it was certainly uh, the world has changed uh, in the last year. And uh, we're, we at the Berean Beacon, we, we, our desire is that the Christian people, God's people, would see these truths because they're they're being cornered very quickly to participate in this uh, shot vaccine agenda, and people really need to have their uh, their understanding. They they need informed consent. They need to understand what's going on globally. You need to see who's behind this agenda, and especially those uh, those of the reform faith. Uh, they 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 still have roots of. Uh, um, you know, historical roots to the Reformation. They, they, they have a little bit of the past. That, that's one of the things that Richard spent a lot of time was trying to bring history back into um, the Christian circles because history seems to be like a missing link in, uh, in what we're seeing today. It's being repeated because history has not been part of uh, the typical Christian life and not knowing our history, not knowing our Christian history. And if you go back in that, you'll see the hands of the Jesuits in Christian history. Uh, Richard did a wonderful video uh, with Michael DeSemblin years ago about the Catholic Inquisition, which is probably the most viewed video that we have put out. But that it, it's so vital to see what had happened in the past to, to be prepared for what uh, is coming our way. And the Christian folks need to really start to wake up. We can't be passive anymore. Uh, being a Protestant meant that you actually went out and you protested. So this is where the church should be at this juncture. Oh, you're totally correct. Now, you've been putting out some Brian Beacon digital newsletters, which people can access those newsletters that you'll be referencing to in relationship to uh, Fauci and the COVID-19 and all the stuff you've been talking about. Uh, those newsletters are available there. Now, kind of walk us through your, because when we talked before we did the, the presentation the other day, uh, this presentation, uh, that you had kind of spent some time studying COVID-19, and then then you started really getting into this thing uh, that you've already been discussing. So uh, what are some of the things you've, you've already brought up a lot of, <laughs> Frightening information. Uh, is there more you can add to this that you haven't told us already? Well, early on with the uh, the rolling out of the, the well, I've seen it all as it's really about the vaccine. The, the, all of last year's theatrics uh, were to prepare people to rush to receive an experimental drug. But, but leading up to that, um, you, there was some, some things that, that were being exposed, uh, even from government sources, it, it really started off with trying to create a pandemic out of uh, 
a virus, a so-called virus <clears throat> that really wasn't killing a lot of people. Uh, the CDC even published last July that only 6% of those that uh, were being labeled as COVID actually were solely COVID-19. So you, you see that there was false reporting of death statistics. They, they were misleading the public that this was a real massive killer. And then, uh, then it shifted into uh, what we saw as what is known as like a case-demic. The, the, the more cases that they can show the world and the nation and your state and your local county, then the more people would believe that there really is a pandemic going on. And that was propagated uh, using what was known as the PCR test. And it was uh, producing false results because it runs on cycles. It's a, uh, um, a hot and cold uh, cycle system that if they run the cycles high, it would always require, it would become a positive result. So we, I began to call it, it's a, the PCR test is a tool for tyrants. And so this is what local government governors would use and uh, to lock down their, their states uh, was false testing with the PCR. And uh, so it was basically the creation of this pandemic, this whole atmosphere of fear. But, you know, these things were all being propagated, too, through Dr. Fauci. Given, as you heard from the introduction, that I have been around for a while and have had the opportunity and, and the privilege and the pleasure of serving in five administrations, um, I thought I would bring that perspective to the topic today is the issue of pandemic uh, preparedness. And if there's one message that I want to leave with you today based on my experience, and you'll see that in a moment, is that there is no question that there will be a challenge to the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases, both chronic infectious diseases in the sense of already ongoing disease, and we have certainly a large burden of that, but also there will be a surprise outbreak. There will be a surprise outbreak. There will be a surprise outbreak. And I hope by the end of my relatively short presentation, you will understand why history, the history of the last 32 years that I've been the director of NIAID will tell the next administration that there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they will be faced with the challenges that their predecessors were faced with. That there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they will be faced with the challenges that their predecessors were faced with. And uh, Robert Redfield. And then meanwhile, Francis Collins was working on the evangelical church to get them on board to believe all these lies to believe the fact that people were stacking up in the dead in the streets and it wasn't true at all. The whole thing was being fabricated. Um, maybe it was, a, it was a pandemic that went wrong and, and they really didn't get the body count that they were looking for. So they began to fabricate the, uh, the deaths. So that's really what was uh, getting me uh, very uh, disturbed early on and as this thing was unfolding last year but knowing that it's at the hands of Jesuitry in America, um, I guess it was uh, during the uh, after the assassination of President Lincoln, there was a, uh, a, a a group that investigated that, and they found it was the Jesuits behind the assassination of President uh, Lincoln, and the they, the diplomatic ties with the Vatican were severed, 
And uh, they were severed for over well over 100 years. It wasn't until Ronald Reagan reestablished the, uh, the diplomatic ties with the Vatican um, back in the 80s. So the, the Jesuits are a sneaky bunch. And uh, it was the church that did stand up against it in the past. And we're hoping that the church would do that again. So when you talk about, I know exactly what you're talking about on these uh, inflated numbers. Because you're right, when you mentioned 6%, that was even reported, I remember hearing it reported in the news, 6% according to the CDC was, uh, would be actually related to COVID-19. So they're inflating all these death numbers because I remember, you know, people talking about the news how this motorcycle guy got killed in a motorcycle accident and uh, they counted it as a COVID death. Because he had been tested positive for COVID, but, but he got run over by an 18-wheeler, right? But that's what, it was COVID, it was a COVID death, even though, you know, as if the 18-wheeler had nothing to do with the, the traffic accident. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, I made a big deal about John Glenn's, uh, John Glenn, he was the first guy in space or something like that. I, I know better about biblical and uh, Christian history than I do about secular history. But uh, his wife, you know, John Glenn, his wife died last year and it was counted as a COVID death. And they said something like, uh, well, she was a hundred years old or something like that. Uh, but she died of COVID, you see, because she was tested positive for COVID. But her being a hundred years old had nothing to do with, you know, with her dying. It was the, it was the, the virus, right? And so there's all these these deaths. And I remember at the time I heard that 6% uh, from the CDC that they had like 200,000 deaths uh, in America. Uh, and when you look at it, 6% might have had something actually to do uh, out of 200 death, 200,000, of course, they've inflated those numbers big time since then. But uh, so you're looking, you're looking at 200,000, 6% of that was about, what, about 12,000. About 12,000 people might have died from it, perhaps, uh, which doesn't even stack up to influenza and some of these other killers that are out there that people don't wear masks for. You know, <laughs> and I'm going, what's going on? And the survival rate is still 99.7%. If you got it, your chances of living through it are 99.7%. And so I'm going, what's the big deal about wearing a mask? I mean, we didn't do it for all these other diseases. I have, I took them right off the CDC site for previous years before this pandemic took place. And you're talking, you know, like 80,000 people or something like that died in 2017 from influenza. <laughs> and, and here, here we got this, this COVID-19 supposedly at the 6% thing was, was right. Uh, killing 12,000, you know, <laughs> but, but how come they didn't say anything in 2017 about 80,000 people dying? The leading causes of death in the United States from 2015 through 2020, the year of the so-called pandemic. Based on the fact that the pandemic is a fraud 
then the numbers they give for COVID deaths must also be a fraud. Notice that the 345,323 COVID deaths in 2020 are mentioned as provisional data. The scam then is all these deaths factor into all the other reasons deaths occur, like heart disease, cancer, etc. Meaning they overlap. Thus, the vast majority of people would have died anyway of these other causes, whether they had COVID or not. Looking at this chart from 2015 through 2019, we see that the number of deaths in the United States ranges from 2,712,630 in 2015 and then beginning in 2017, it averages between 2,813,503 and then up to 2,854,838 in 2019. Normally, and that's at least about 2 million to 800,000 people annually are dying in the United States of one reason or another, all the way through 2019. And this all, of course, before COVID. Over 2,800,000 people generally die in the United States anyway before COVID or not. The con games being played to deceive everyone about a pandemic is based on two major factors. One, all the false positives going on in COVID testing done by medical institutions who make money off these tests. One politician tested positive during 2020, then went to another medical institution and tested negative. The longer these COVID tests go on, the more inaccurate they become over time. And this is why the fraud masters have to say that someone who tested positive can have no symptoms at all of having COVID, yet still have it. The fraud masters need to keep the panic going among the population at all costs, otherwise they can't make as much money as they are currently making or all the political power they are currently enjoying from brainwashed, panic-stricken people. In my own case, my 87-year-old father who is and was in hospice at the time, was sent to the emergency room at the hospital in January 2021 and was tested positive for COVID along with my stepmom. My dad and stepmom reported they noticed nothing different about their health at all. My dad went on to recover at the hospital the next day and returned to hospice since he is suffering from numerous other physical problems and is still alive at the time of this recording many months later. Two, this fraud is perpetrated by the above false positive test, which then sets the table for the follow-up fraud to increase the supposed numbers of death due to COVID. Once a person is, quote, tested, end quote, positive, for COVID, then no matter what happens, if the person dies, it will be counted as a COVID death. Thus, if a person who was tested positive for COVID dies in a motorcycle accident, then it is counted as a COVID death. If they fall off a ladder and die, 
It is a COVID death. If they get bitten by a dog and die of rabies, it's a COVID death. If they slip on a banana and break their neck and die, then it is a COVID death. If they get eaten by a shark at the beach, it's a COVID death. If they get mistakenly shot and killed by a deer hunter in the woods, then it's a COVID death. If they die of heart disease, it's a COVID death. If they die of cancer, it's a COVID death. If they die of chronic liver respiratory diseases, it's a COVID death. If they die of a stroke, it's a COVID death. If they die of diabetes, it's a COVID death. If they die of Alzheimer's disease, it's a COVID death. If they die of suicide, it's a COVID death. If they die of influenza and pneumonia, it's a COVID death. If they die of chronic liver disease, it's a COVID death. And on and on, the bait-and-switch shell game goes to inflate COVID deaths to scare and intimidate the population. Testing fraud was used to spike the case numbers in order to put fear into the public. The PCR test was not even developed for COVID and is notorious for being inaccurate. The test is done by repeating the test over and over cycles until the required number of cycles are complete. The more cycles that are done, the more chances that it will pick up remnants from a previous viral infection. There are seven coronaviruses out there. Three are severe, like COVID, SARS, and MERS. The other four are milder and are similar to the common cold. Anyone who has gotten these in the past will have remaining viral fragments in their bodies. The standard PCR test is supposed to be run at 17 to 20 cycles, but they needed to get the numbers up. So the testing labs were told to increase the cycle threshold to as high as 42. This almost guaranteed a 100% positive rate. This is why the testing numbers were so sky high last year. That's 2020. Then, after the vaccines were administered, they started reducing the cycle threshold back down and are currently at 20 to 25. So less positive tests are occurring, which is used to support the fallacy that the vaccine is working. But we know the vaccine is not working and is hurting a lot of people. The latest VAERS database numbers are at 9,000 deaths at the time of this recording, with about 15,000 deaths in Europe. All the liars are reporting that all the people getting and dying from COVID are unvaccinated. But ask any nurse at a hospital, and they will tell you that the majority of the patients in the COVID wards are fully vaccinated. Now they are doing door-to-door work to try to convince people to get the vaccine. I hope they come to my door. I will invite them in, ask them if they want a snack or a drink, and then listen to their presentation. I will thank them for their concern for life, but then I will ask them if they have the same concern for the afterlife in hell without Jesus. I'm sure they will beat a path to the door to escape when they hear that. 
people like me believe that, you know, you know, we sit back and we go, oh, okay, so the government gives you three times as much money for a COVID patient as for a non-COVID patient. And then if a COVID patient dies, you get like 35 times the amount of money and you shut down uh, doing all sorts of other medical work. And so uh, that's going to have a real impact on the numbers that you report. And yeah, we've got video after video after video of people in various states and localities, officials staying there in front of reporters saying, as long as you test positive for COVID and you die of whatever, it'll be listed as a COVID death. Even if we can't demonstrate that it was actually the primary mechanism that brought about death. And so, yes, from people who, like me, believe that the numbers are... uh, Inflated, depending on how you want to put those numbers, I would estimate by about 20% uh, above the reality. But uh, people who are opposed to masking mandates recognize that masks don't accomplish anything, that they've got a 97% penetration rate, especially, especially anymore. Have you noticed the longer these mandates go, the more lax the wearing gets? I, I just went through a, rest, a, a drive through at a restaurant because you can't go in. Um, and this is a restaurant where at first they're, you know, they're mask, 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 mask. It still still says can't come in without a mask. But even the person at the window had the mask around her chin. <laughs> okay. So uh, that, uh, you know, that might help those of us a beard to keep some, uh, you know, something falling out of your beard, I suppose. But that's not going to accomplish much as far as what they're supposed to be doing. Um and that's natural. That's what's going to happen. People get sick and tired of not being able to breathe. And uh, so the, the mask discipline gets lesser and lesser and lesser. Despite that, the death numbers and case numbers continue to crash in Arizona because a virus is going to virus. And if you, if you look at how the virus is behaving around the world, it's almost always the same. You can see how the, the stack of lies they're leading somewhere and they're leading to the, the, the shots, basically what the substance that they want to put into people's bodies, all of this last year's theater leads to that. And um, another thing I forgot to mention too, which you kind of brought up with the mask is that they were propagating the lie that there was a, a asymptomatic spread of a virus, which has never been proven medically but but these are the, the the lies that men like Fauci and the head of the CDC, or Redfield Jesuits, were propagating, and uh, and then they they were it, it, it's strange, but I saw the parallel between the Dark Ages and, and where they were uh, there were the, the the Vatican scientists of that day were were promoting a flat Earth, and then the, today's Vatican scientists are all promoting a flat curve. So it just it seems like a repeat of what they're leading us back into this dark age. Um, but in the, the masking, there's so many multiple applications for, for all this. Like the masking is preparing people to be uh, segregated. Uh, you cannot shop, buy, or sell unless you wear the mask. And now we're being ushered into vaccine passports where you're not going to be able to buy, shop, or sell unless you have your vaccine passport up to date. So, you know, we can see the work of the Antichrist. We see the work of Rome. um, And we need to 
expose it more. We need to get this message out to God, to the church, to God's people, that uh, this is just m- a lot more than just a few people uh, dying. Uh, this is about a big agenda that they're unrolling and knowing who's behind it would help. I think I, I felt it was important for people to see who's behind it because when new things come out, you can get quicker to the truth when you understand who is behind this agenda. And I clearly see that it's at the hand of Rome. Well, this, this masking thing to me, it was funny when they, when they first started doing it. Yeah. Uh, I also, a lot of my viewers know that I work at the main post office. I think the first four months uh, of this thing, I never wore a mask at all. People were already wearing masks and stuff like that. And they didn't make us either. Uh, but then they, then the the mayor of Austin is a a, a flaming liberal Democrat. Uh, I don't know. I don't think liberal is a good word for what they're doing these days. It's more like Marxist. But uh, the uh, they started making us wear masks, and uh, that forced me to just have to do that. But a mask itself, scientifically doesn't stop a virus molecule. They see those masks that you would are simple ones. They can't even help you in a, a smoky fire. The, the molecules for a fire are far bigger than molecules for a virus, which means that, that those virus molecules can go right through that mask with no difficulty because they're so tiny. Because uh, the mask can't even help you against bigger molecules from like smoke. Uh, and that's why the World Health Center was already saying you don't need to wear a mask at the beginning, you know. Since then, they kind of got too much pr- political pressure and changed their mind but and, and, and changed it. But uh, for a mask to really stop uh, tiny virus particles, it needs to be at least 20 layers thick like they have at the hospitals. And even then, that mask is only good for about 20 minutes because when you breathe into it, it becomes moist and susceptible for things passing through it, like these tiny molecules. And so those masks, even the hotshot ones that are 20 layers thick that they use in medical professions, uh, are only good for about 20 minutes. You know? <laughs> and so, so I'm, a, I'm getting all this stuff I've been researching. It, it is like even medical military tests were done with the, in the military. And this is on file showing that they took a test group of uh, military soldiers that wore the mask as opposed to uh, soldiers in the same, you know, in this, this, this controlled environment didn't wear masks. They found that the people that wore masks came down with problems more than the ones that didn't wear masks. <laughs> and see, here again, people are forgetting the sovereignty of God and his creation. They don't, they, they're not realizing that, God has made his creation and given us bodies that have the ability to overcome a lot of things that could harm our bodies, like, you know, uh, you know, diseases, sicknesses, things of that nature. U.S. Surgeon General Jerome M. Adams pleaded with the people to quit stocking up on face masks in a post to Twitter. Seriously, people, stop buying masks, he wrote. They are not effective in preventing the general public from catching coronavirus. 
But if health care providers can't get them to care for sick patients, it puts them and our communities at risk. Standard surgical masks, the kind most people are buying and wearing, don't help because coronavirus spreads in droplets, which surgical masks do not block. Forbes reports, in fact, surgical masks can trap droplets containing the virus inside, increasing your risk rather than reducing it. They should only be worn by people who already have the virus to help prevent spreading it to others, Perrin Senovich said, according to the publication. N95 respirator masks can help keep droplets containing coronavirus or other viruses out, but only if worn correctly, Forbes reported. Wearing a mask is tricky because it can create a false sense of security. Perensovich said, according to the publication, if you don't wash your hands before you take off the mask and after you take off your mask, you could increase your risk. And fiddling with the mask may cause you to touch your face more often, also increasing your risk, Forbes reported. Improperly diagnosed surgical or respirator masks also can risk spreading coronavirus. Here's the newsletter from Medical News Today. Number one, masks offer no protection to the wearer. Claims, masks are not an effective way of protection from the new coronavirus. Only N95 are, and masks have disclaimers saying they cannot prevent someone from acquiring the new coronavirus. These claims represent the essence of the argument around whether to wear a mask. The primary aim of asking the general public to wear masks where physical distancing is not possible is not to protect the wearer. Instead, this public health measure aims to stop people with a SARS-CoV-2 infection who are asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic, from transmitting the virus. Experts refer to this as source control. Rather than protecting the wearer, source control seeks to block the release of virus-laden droplets into the air that surrounds the person wearing the mask. Several research papers have shown that simple face coverings can reduce the number of droplets and perhaps some aerosols, to some extent. 2. Evidence is lacking. Claim. There is no scientific evidence to say that masks are effective. Professor Tricia Greenhoff from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom has voiced her support about using face masks in several prominent research journals, such as the BMJ. The argument that we should not recommend face coverings because there are no published experiments is out of step with other public health policy on infection control in general, and COVID-19 in particular, she recently wrote in the Journal of Evaluation in Clinical Practice. 
Mathematical modeling suggests that a face covering that is 60% effective at blocking viral transmission and is worn by 60% of the population will reduce RO to below 1.0. From Professor Tricia Greenhoff. RO is the technical term for the basic reproduction number, which refers to the number of other people to whom a single person can transmit infection. When the RO is below 1, each person with SARS-CoV-2 will transmit the virus to less than one other person, reducing the overall number of cases in the population over time. One study in the BMJ Global Health looked at transmission of SARS-CoV-2 in 124 families in which at least one member had COVID-19. The data showed that face masks were 79% effective in reducing transmission if the person with COVID-19 wore them before they developed symptoms. 3. Masks may increase risk of infection. Claim. Masks can become contaminated very quickly, and every time the wearer breathes in, they inhale contaminants. Masks can be a source of infection for the person wearing them, according to the World Health Organization. A 2017 study involving 16 healthcare professionals showed that self-contamination was common when the volunteers were putting on and removing medical-grade personal protective equipment. The CDC recommend that people do not touch their face covering while wearing a face mask in public and that they wash their hands if they do so accidentally. Medical-grade masks block microorganisms from reaching the wearer's nose and mouth. It is not clear whether this applies to homemade face coverings as well. In the recent study, which has not yet undergone peer review, researchers tested different fabrics to see how many different sized droplets would pass through. We found that most home fabrics substantially block droplets, even as a single layer. With two layers, blocking performance can reach that of a surgical mask without significantly compromising breathability. The authors wrote in the manuscript, Claim, masks can lead to pneumonia or other lung infections. There is no evidence indicating that masks increase the wearer's risk of developing pneumonia or other bacterial, viral, or fungal lung infections. The World Health Organization acknowledged that if a person wears the same mask for a long time, microorganisms may grow on the fabric. The CDC recommend that a person removes the face covering once they return home and washes it before using it again. All masks should be changed if wet or visibly soiled. A wet mask should not be worn for an extended period of time. Either discard the mask or place it in a sealable bag where it is kept until it can be washed and clean, the World Health Organization advise. 4. Masks might harm the wearer. Claim. Masks limit oxygen intake and increase carbon dioxide, CO2, and they increase the potential risk of CO2 poisoning. 
One small study looked at 39 volunteers who had end-stage renal disease and received dialysis during the SARS pandemic in 2003. The researchers found that 70% of participants who wore an N95 respirator for four hours during treatment experienced a fall in oxygen levels. Another study found no differences in the oxygen levels in 10 intensive care nurses who wore N95 respirators for their shifts. Carbon dioxide poisoning is very rare, and experts mostly associate it with accidents that occur in confined spaces such as ships and mines. Hypercapnia, or hypercarbia, occurs when a person has too much carbon dioxide in their blood. Hyperventilation and some lung conditions can lead to hypercapnia. It can manifest as dizziness and headaches at the mild end of the spectrum, and confusion, seizures, and coma at the severe end. Research from 2006 found that during the SARS pandemic in 2003, healthcare workers who wore N95 respirators for more than four hours at a time were more likely to develop headaches. A representative from the CDC recently spoke to Reuters about hypercapnia. The CO2 will slowly build up in the mask over time. However, the level of CO2 likely to build up in the mask is mostly tolerable to people exposed to it. You might get a headache, but you most likely would not suffer the symptoms observed at much higher levels of CO2. It is unlikely that wearing a mask will cause hypercapnia. Claim. Masks are dangerous for people with certain health conditions, COPD, asthma, as they may restrict breathing. The World Health Organization acknowledged that people living with asthma, chronic respiratory conditions, or breathing problems may experience difficulties when wearing masks. The CDC recommend that anyone who has trouble breathing should not wear a face mask. To wear a mask or not, whether a person decides to follow public health advice and wear a mask is down to individual choice, at least in countries where wearing masks is not mandatory. This might never be a clear-cut topic, and there may be no resolution for those who prefer to consult a large body of well-conducted scientific studies to help them make their decisions. Some experts think that conducting randomized control studies to tease out the exact contribution that masks may make to slowing the spread of SARS-CoV-2 is likely impractical. Some people may find wearing a mask a straightforward adjustment to their daily lives and will readily wear a mask when venturing out to crowded places, doing the groceries, or visiting friends. For some people, such as small children and people with breathing problems, wearing a mask is not practical or possible. However, these people may still benefit if others wear them. And then the alternative, the opposite of that is... uh, what we're seeing through the pharmaceutical industry, and uh, I imagine you 
probably familiar with the word pharmakia that was used in uh, yes. uh, throughout the New Testament. It was translated as witchcraft. Um, but as you go into your strong concordance, you find out that actually is drug use. So, you know, back in the day, only witches were using drugs. So they found the parallel, but it's really drug use. And it goes right back to Satan. And this is, this is the work of the devil uh, is getting people down this whole pharmaceutical pathway as opposed to trusting in God and their God-given immune systems. It's a, it's a complete uh, counterfeit. It's just, uh, this, it's sad um, that, that we've allowed it to get this out of hand in our country where we're sliding into medical tyranny. Well, see, also just the political pressure where all these churches are shut down because of this pandemic, you can't even have a regular church service or, you know, in some of these countries, they, like, I think it happened in Germany or something like that. They, they broke in. I think it also happened in Canada uh, where they break into a church service because they're not wearing masks. And right. you, you got guys in riot helmets and they got bulletproof vests <laughs> and they're coming here, these little old ladies in the church service, you know, cause they're not wearing yeah. a mask and they start forcing them to wear masks. And, and I just see that as interference from the devil, uh, sure. to, to interfere with a, a normal worship of God in the, in the context that God has defined in the word of God, you know, so this video just came along. I do not know who Dr. Andreas Noach is, but evidently he is uh, opposed to lockdowns. He believes that they are damaging and uh, dangerous and not substantiated by scientific argumentation, in fact, but by brute force of government. While he is uh, live streaming, this is what happens. So uh, here's, here's, here's the video. Parallel gleichzeitig, jede Wirklichkeit. Two people in here. What's your name? What do you call? I am Andreas Noah. Yeah, gotta turn those cameras. Let's not let the, let's let the cameras see everything, right? No. 
Kannst du hier übernehmen, Simon? Eine Person bitte. It's sad that in Canada, they, they don't have the uh, Bill of Rights protections that we do here in America. They, they tried those tactics here early on, but, you know, it's actually, I'd like to put in a plug in for the Liberty Council. They're uh, a group of uh, um, aggressive Christian lawyers out of Florida that have helped open up uh, and crack apart the false pandemic in California and opened up the churches again uh, that the governor Newsom was closing down. So we have to be very grateful that we, our forefathers, our Christian forefathers, they left uh, a bill of rights for us to avoid what we're into, but we have to exercise these rights. We have to get engaged as a culture. Um, one of the uh, things in my research I came across was Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was one of our, uh, He was one of the signers on the Constitution, and uh, he was a medical doctor, and uh, I believe he was also the founder of the American Bible Society. Uh, I have to check on that, but uh, very active Christian, and uh, he foretold uh, a possible coming a medical tyranny that could come in. He wanted to include in our Constitution uh, something to protect against medical tyranny. He saw that as a possibility, and that's kind of what we're seeing in this nation And, uh, and, and a lot of it flows right from the Centers for Disease Control, which was once headed by uh, Robert Redfield, who, who stepped down uh, when Trump left office. But Redfield, uh, he was involved in uh, falsifying data during the AIDS uh, crisis because he was trying to come up with a vaccine for AIDS. So he, he has a history of deceit and deception, Jesuit trained. Um, but it's through the CDC and their grant programs, this is how the states receive money in their health departments. State and county health departments are funded by grant money from the CDC. And this is where all these uh, mandates get dispersed from, is from the county health departments. And obviously when you receive a grant money, they come with the uh, stipulations, do's and don'ts. So you know, when you follow the money back, you, it goes right back to the CDC. I haven't gotten beyond where they get their funds, but obviously they're pulling from a pool of fiat money that costs them nothing, but they've bribed health departments all across this nation. And that's why you see the states uh, battling that, especially uh, in Florida. They've really stood up against their health department and put them in their place. And uh, they've even exposed the false PCR test. That's why they opened up early with Governor DeSantis uh, uncovering that, that, that information. So we need to engage. We need to stand up to this uh, as Christians, as Christian men. We need to stand against tyranny. That's really my conviction. That's really what the hope of the Berean Beacon is that people would wake up. I found it kind of ironic, uh, providential, I should say, that the, the name of the Berean Beacon, uh, Richard's uh, father-in-law had came up with the name Berean Beacon, but at the time, Richard just had a heart for evangelism. He just wanted to reach people with the gospel. And I kept curious, why, why did they pick that name? And now I see that uh, Richard's ministry was there. It was a beacon to shine these truths, to expose uh, what, what the Vatican global agenda, you know, how the, the Pope uh, is uh, working on a, a, on a grand scale to circumvent the, the reformation, to take over and destroy American Protestantism. 
So um, the, I, I see that the work of the beacon now is to shine these truths out to warn the people of the dangers of uh, getting too close to the shore. And uh, we're getting awfully close to the Vatican and people need to wake up. Now, you know, I was mentioning the fact that uh, earlier that, uh, uh, you know, I, I work at a government facility and uh, a lot of people down there were diagnosed with COVID-19 over, you know, the Christmas holidays. You got the Christmas hub and it's really busy. They bring in a lot of extra workers and there's all this mail and stuff like that. And a lot of people, including supervisors, came down with COVID-19, you know, and then they gave them a paid holiday uh, for being off. And, and of course, these these medical places get money, too, uh, for cases that they diagnose and things like that. But, but to me, it was interesting that nobody of all these masses of people that got it died. And it seemed like all of them came back within the week or at most two weeks, they Everybody just came right back uh, as if they just had the cold or something for a little while. And then, but if this is such a deadly killer, how come, you know, out of all these people over all those months, nobody died and everybody was right back at work doing what they were doing before. And we have all of the uh, amazing uh, video coming out of people being manhandled by Australian police uh, forcibly masked. And, I mean, literally, stormtroopers uh, kneeling on housewives' backs and necks. Yeah, yeah, exactly like somebody else that we know um, about masking stuff. And, and I, I mean, you're talking uh, checkpoints and the army... And, I mean, people just, it must be the walking dead down there, right? So I thought, wow, they're taking this so seriously. Uh, let's, let's see what the numbers are. I mean, people just must be falling like flies. And so this was um, on the 10th. So yesterday, yesterday morning, here is the, um, here's the chart that I took from the Australian Health Service. Of this bar chart shows the total number of confirmed deaths with COVID-19 in Australia for each age group and sex since the 22nd of January. Okay, this is the totals, folks. And if you can't read it, the top number here is 60. 60. So if you're if you're less than 70 years of age, okay, there because this is where the comorbidity factors kick in. If you not know, don't know what a comorbidity factor is, you need to know that once you get in these age ranges, there's normally other stuff going wrong with you. You're taking medications and you've got, you know, you're like rich, you know, everything just starts falling apart and it's just, just everything stops working. And so you've got all sorts of stuff going on here and there are all sorts of diseases that take advantage of the weaknesses of the body. A pneumonia is the best known uh, in uh, taking out older people. So, yeah, but still the numbers are tiny, even above 70. But below that, I mean, there's nothing below the 30 to 39. It looks like one. 
It looks like one between 40 and 49. And then maybe three or four between 50 and 59, probably cancer patients. I bet you dollars donuts if you looked at it. And by the way, if you notice that COVID really does not like men, um, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, there, there is definitely female privilege going on here. I don't know what we can do about it, but we need to pass a law, burn a cop car, do something, because that seems to be how you're supposed to protest these things. Um, but th- there's, there's, just, there's nothing here. And yet, all these liberties, freedoms, gone. Uh, businesses destroyed. Lockdown. Make everybody depend upon the government. Ha! Huh, how did this happen? So quickly and all across the globe, it's happening. Huh. Out of something like this. Y- you got to understand, uh, kids, um, <laughs> if this is going on now, what's going to happen when the next flu strain comes along? Because we've already said we'll do it. We've already, we, no one's pushing back. Well, a few of us are trying, but we've already said, so the next flu, flu strain that comes along. Uh, any disease at all. Why haven't we been doing this all along, is what I want to know. I mean, it, the, the inconsistency here is astonishing. It really is. It, it's, just, it's just, wow. I did see really good news this morning. It was an excellent thread that I read from a medical doctor talking about T-cells. It made perfect sense because it, fits, it actually fits the data. Because um, there are some people that this thing is a a nothing burger. They 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 test positive and they're like, really? Um, well, I guess you know, a couple weeks ago I I sneezed once. Uh, but it's for some people it's an absolute nothing burger. It, it they don't even know they have it. Why? You would think that would be the big question. You know, you would think that would be the thing that with all the research and stuff like that. But it's not because what's all the research about? Vaccines. Oh yes, you gotta gotta get those recombinant RNA DNA genetically engineered vaccines out there, you know, because you gotta produce billions of them, and you're gonna have to get them every year. And oh yeah, <laughs> you don't think there's somebody just salivating over that? Oh, you bet. But this idea of of actually your body, an immune system and stuff, T-cells, all sorts of... You would think there would even be more information in this area. It's slowly coming out. The people who are still working and maybe not getting the government, all the government money, but are going, hey, you know, it seems that some people actually have a natural immunity to this stuff because they... They have T cells that have responded to other coronaviruses and they seem to fight this stuff off. And hey, maybe there's a way to do this without quiet. That ruins all the political power and money. And just follow the money. Just follow. You know, stuff like this that's going on, you don't see. And they're always saying, like, well, you got to be like 80 years old to die from it, you know? I say, well, a lot of people in their 80s die, and it's not going to be from COVID-19. There's a lot of other reasons people die when they're that age. I think it's also called natural causes, you know, when you get up that high in age. So I'm just not seeing a correlation with reality. 
in, in this situation. If this is such a deadly disease that uh, you got to wear a mask and you got to uh, socially restrict yourself and don't go out of the house and have everything shipped into you from a grocery store, curbside service or whatever it might be. And it's just like something to take over people's lives and control everything. And I'm wondering with this Vatican agenda and the impact this pan, I think somebody called it once a scandemic, uh, <laughs> a scandemic, but uh, uh, it seems like it's been given a life of a lot of political power, including interfering with the worship of God and normal worship services. Uh, how does the Vatican... I mean, what are they gaining out of this? Uh, Fauci and and all these guys with this. Uh, how how are they? How is the Vatican going to use this to gain? I mean, you're, you've been mentioning it's going to overthrow the Reformation, and everybody's coming together. The evangelicals are working with the Catholics and all this stuff. But uh, how are they? What is this this thing being used to really just from what you're saying already? Just bring everybody together in one big boat where they're kind of trusting the Pope and and Fauci as the lead Jesuit in this situation. Yeah, very. I think that's very well said. I mean, that's you know when you see where these roads lead to, you, you see what uh, the roads of last century led to the big ecumenical thrust to to set aside doctrinal differences to unite under um, you know the banner of a, of a big stadium and set aside truth for the sake of unity. And then it culminated uh, in the end of the last century with the proclamation that uh, the Reformation was over. And then uh, we immediately launched into what I see now in this century is the beginning of the scientific ecumenism. You know, what, what the, um, the, the ecumenists of last century couldn't do through um, political causes or um, soft-hearted or uh, uniting against the abortion front uh, with Roman Catholics. Now they're using science to unite people. And that's, I, I found that uh, Francis Collins, uh, uh, the head of the NIH and his organization called BioLogos is at the forefront of this. And he's trying to set aside biblical truths um, about creation, set aside truths about life uh, and where life begins. Uh, he's tried to convince evangelical Christians that it's okay to experiment with uh, uh, murdered children, aborted babies. And uh, so you see another uh, thrust to pull people away from the scripture, away from God, and to this uh, unification and now they're using science as this next tool to unify what's left of a tattered American church. Um, eventually, I, I see that America really has to go under in order for a world domination to take place. Uh, it was the evangelical church, the, our reformed Protestant roots in America are what preserved our liberties till now. And now they're all being challenged. I've often thought about what Jesus said, you know, when he comes back and he said, well, uh, well, what I find faith. That's right. Well, a son of man find faith on the earth. It, it, and it seems like that 
faith, the true gospel faith, the, the, the saving faith of uh, a supernatural born-again experience through the power of the Holy Spirit is just vaporizing before us. Uh, I'm not seeing a whole lot of real, really true Christians out there anywhere. You know, I mean, they're they're out there, of course, because God's church will not, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. But the thing is, to find the real Christians out there is starting to seem to be a challenge among evangelicals, among, you know, like you say, the Roman Catholics, uh, Muslims, Buddhists, you, you, the Shintoists of, uh, you know, in, in the Far East, uh, all these these religions, they don't, they're, they're not the exclusive religion of what Christianity teaches. Christianity teaches you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. But this ecumenical thing coming on the earth, going around everywhere, and whole churches collapsing now on all kinds of gospel fronts, uh, just seems to indicate to me that, uh-oh, you know, maybe what Jesus, Jesus is always true. Everything he says happens and it, it will happen. When he comes the second time, will he find faith on the earth? It's going to get that bad, right? <laughs> and you start to go, whoa, you look around what's happening. And people under pressure, their faith collapses, you know, like what you're talking about, you know, the vaccines or whatever. In fact, I want to ask you about that. The the vaccines, uh, they're by different people. Pfizer, you mentioned some of them already. But to me, they don't look like they accomplish anything from what they're supposed to do. Uh, I, we've got a video we put up on Sermon Audio with uh, McCulloch, I think his name was, or McCulloch, uh, famous doctor, but uh, we'll probably put a clip of him in this video where he's talking about how a lot of these vaccines, uh, people that uh, have already had COVID don't need it because they already have their natural body immunities to fight off anything like this. And uh, pregnant women don't need it. It's going to maybe hurt the, hurt, hurt, hurt the baby, maybe cause a miscarriage, stuff like this. Uh, but yet, the agenda seems to be you must have a vaccine. You, you know, I'm even seeing ads on TV and on YouTube and everywhere else. You've got to go get your vac- vaccination. Uh, I think you have to sign a paper saying you won't sue them if you uh, take the vaccination. Uh, and I thought that's interesting. You're not allowed to sue them for something that most vac- vaccines are done in a five-year study to make sure there's nothing really wrong with them yet. This one came out in a year, one year, <laughs> instead of five. And you think of the swine flu vaccination back in 1976, and they rushed that one out, and all of a sudden all these people are paralyzed in their legs. And, and a lot of people have been, uh, in this video we put out not too long ago in Sermon Audio, the, the, already thousands of people have died from the vaccination. Of course, they don't advertise that, or they don't tell you about that. But. So what uh, uh, what do you think? You have anything more to add about the vac- the the, the, vac- the vaccines that, and how dangerous they can be? It's clear even from their own fact sheets uh, published by the manufacturers is that it, it's it, this has not received approval 
from the FDA. It just has emergency use authorization for an experimental drug. So people that are participating, they're agreeing to have an experimental drug put in their body. And the best of my peeling back the onion layer on this one, the only thing they're somewhat possibly promising is that you might have reduced symptoms if you get COVID. So that's the only thing I've gained from reading their literature on it. Um, but if you go a little bit deeper, you find that uh, they're saying that it's a, an operating system, that this thing has so many layers of deceit involved. Um, the, I like to call it just, it's a bioweapon. You know, it's being used against people. Now we're uh, just starting to see that the body counts increase for those that are, have died from taking the vaccine, but the damage to people and their lives is uh, uh, growing uh, day by day. I, I've heard all kinds of um, doom and gloom predictions for those who have taken the vaccine. Uh, I'll let people do their own research on that. Um, but it, it's strange why they would want this substance in people's bodies. So that alone should be a red flag. I'll explain to you, because if you truly believe in God, if we're uh, made in God's image, that has implications. The implication is that life has sanctity. And if life has sanctity, we have rights. We have human rights. That's the source of natural law. And if we have human rights, then it's not in Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab or any other sociopath to decide how long I'm going to live and how many people should be on the planet. That's God's prerogative. However, if you take that out and view people as no no different than an animal in a Darwinist perspective or eugenics perspective, and basically survival of the fittest is the yardstick that you measure uh, the dominance hierarchy of humanity. So in that case, these people feel that they're on top of the uh, of the pyramid and entitles them to to decide if you and me should live. Today, we have a real treat for you. Probably one of the most important interviews I've ever done. Why? Because we're going to talk about something so unthinkable sh- and shocking that you're likely gonna be very surprised. That's why I got Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. In my observation, clinicians who are committed, who have high integrity and committed to the truth of the fundamental basis of what solving that the problem that their patients come to them with uh, eventually come to the same conclusion, even though they're, they're coming from different backgrounds and perspectives. And, and you're, you're a classic example of that. I think uh, there's so many solutions are uh, simple mm-hmm. and uh, b- based on millennia of information and the, the trend in the pharmaceutical industry and modern uh, societies to believe that something that is, new or has a patent or has a brand name is better for you. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. And this is the perfect example where like COVID-19, we can call it death by affluence because a lot of the countries that could afford the vaccinations and the expensive treatments, uh, they suppressed the cheap generic treatments and other countries that had no choice. I remember I consulted uh, with the government government of Honduras consulted with me. It's a very poor country. And they were adopted the, the pre-hospital approach uh, very early. And even their president reported to President Trump that, that we're seeing tr- tremendous results. Um, so uh, when I say death by affluence, it means that uh, our own 
wealth, materialism, and profit-driven desires sometimes end up killing us. Yes, indeed. Not by design. Well, actually by design, but designed the people behind the scenes, as you uh, clearly referenced earlier. So I really appreciate your framing this and putting it into a proper perspective, give, give people an understanding, the proper understanding of what's happening so they can make informed decisions and uh, really identify strategies that they're comfortable with. Uh, and rather than listening to the incredible 24-7 propaganda they're being exposed to, it's, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, this, you know, you refer to this as the, the genocidal event. I mean, it's literally, it's it most likely will be at least five to 10 times more deadly than what they did in World War II. Unless people get, wake up. And I don't think that's going to happen because the propaganda is so comprehensive. Right. So this is a battle for the consciousness of man. Mm-hmm. Um, whether we're going to, I'll get a little theologic, uh, whether we're going to accept that there's a God that we're made in his image and our lives have sanctity, or whether we're going to submit to uh, the idol worshipers and, and, the, and the corrupt human beings that really are looking to uh, make themselves uh, feel more better about themselves and more powerful by suppressing us. I think that there's a lot of this narcissistic, sociopathic, wannabe deity uh, mentality uh, by the woke global uh, intellectuals that think that they know better. Um, and in my understanding, they've devolved into the most base, uh, you know, primitive human beings that you can imagine. Uh, by their rejection of, of the divine nature of humans. So um, my, my advice to anyone, wherever you feel that fear is being induced, whoever is trying to scare you, oh, the Delta variant is coming. Oh, my God, we're all going to die again. Uh, you should know that they're a mouthpiece for evil. And I would stay away from that as far as possible and just purge fear from your mentality and just do the right take do simple preventive measures and your life will be much more meaningful and safer and um, fulfilling yes indeed yeah i've come to the perspective that there's really only two emotions that are out there the one that you mentioned which is fears which they've used it's the most effective motivator activating that reptilian brain but the other emotion that counters that is love and that's certainly an, you're an example of what uh, applying that is in this context and spreading truth and information so people can understand and really rescue themselves from this tyrannical intervention. Thanks so much for watching. Remember, hit the like and subscribe button so you can get more videos that can help you and your family take control of your health. And consider with me one overarching reality. Since March of 2020, the transfer of wealth that has taken place globally into the hands of big tech, big pharma, and the multi, the, the, the Jeff Bezoses and Bill Gates of the world who are deeply connected with one another, they just all got together in New York this past weekend and were discussing how to lower the world's population. That's one of their big, big things. They've made it very clear in the past that, that 
it has to stop now. You've got to stop growth now. And we need to reverse it really back to $3 billion. And we're at 7.5. And so uh, these, the, the amount of money that has come into the control of this small group of people in these small concentrated areas, if you can go out and hire somebody to, to, to kill your ex-wife for 5000 bucks, what can you do for $500 billion? How many people can you kill for that kind of money? Subject, COVID-19 vax spike protein effects on organs. The spike induced the same diseases, COVID-19 induced. The spike is the toxin. Damage to the lungs. Why are we injecting something into the body that is the toxin? It causes the disease. This isn't a vaccine. Investigational. Why put into your body that would disrupt the blood vessels in your brain? Stop the insanity. Game over. This is a poisonous attack on our society. Dr. Cole. Howdy, howdy. I'm Dr. Cole. It's an honor to be here with my colleagues, some brilliant minds, as you've already seen. So uh, I'm humbled to be on the stage with them. I'm uh, excited to be here with uh, attorneys that fight for freedom as well. And it's fantastic to be in a room with smiling faces not covered with unnecessary cloth that does nothing. So, so who is this random doctor on stage? I'm Dr. Ryan Cole. I'm a Mayo Clinic trained board certified anatomic pathologist, clinical pathologist, dermatopathologist, way too many years of school. Also did some PhD research in immunology. So immunology, virology is uh, right up my alley. So if you want uh, mechanisms of action and how things work and whatnot, go ahead and pick my brain. Anyway, um, so what about the vaccine? What about deaths? You know, Dr. Urso had alluded to that, that we have some concerns about these high numbers. Um, what's, what's going on? Um, you know, we see the headlines, like Dr. Merritt mentioned, 13-year-old three days after a shot dies, 15-year-old dies of a heart attack, you know, 10 children so far in the VAERS reports, and probably more now, death after heart attacks, 39-year-old mom of three, death, death after the shots, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we see the headlines. So here's the question. One would think in this era of a new virus and a new experimental, uh, I don't even like calling it a vaccine, an investigational vaccine. A fake vaccine, okay. I can, I can uh, a clot shot, a needle rape, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, um, okay, so going to the VAERS data, um, 11,000 deaths, 12,000 deaths, 45,000 deaths. In the literature so far, about a month ago, first post-vaccine autopsy. Out of 11,000 deaths? Are you kidding me? Is this science anymore? No. No, medical technocracy. Fear, suffering, shot. Fear, suffering, shot. That's all you're supposed to have. Listen to us and that's all you get. No. So how can we do science if we are not looking? One cannot find that for which they do not look. 
Where is the funding? And the independent pathologists, the pathologists, you know, I do a lot of biopsies, cancer diagnostics, whatnot. We never complain about getting too much tissue. Well, when you get the autopsy, you get all the tissue. But guess what? You find all the answers, too. But if we're not looking, we're not going to find it. And if they're saying, oh, don't autopsy that. It wasn't the vaccine. These are not the droids you're looking for. Don't look here. So how, how in God's green earth are we going to know? Where is the funding? Autopsies are expensive, yes. But if we have billions to advertise a clot shot to children that don't need it, Dr. Fauci, where's the funding for science? Okay, when an unapproved new drug therapy vaccine is put onto the market, well, you need to use the French legal system, guilty until proven innocent. So if there's an adverse reaction, if there's a death, it happened from that therapy until you prove that it didn't. And we are doing the look the other way, look the other way, follow the money. Who's behind this? I don't know. I'm not going to conspiracy theory anything. I'm not going to be political, but I'm saying if you want the data, then you need to use that French legal system and say, this is guilty until we prove it didn't happen from something else. And we're doing just the opposite right now. Okay, what about the spike protein? We're giving a sequence, a gene sequence, into the bodies of human beings. And this sequence goes into our deltoid, and we're, we're informed that it, it has a little anchoring protein, and, and once that is translated and makes a little protein and it's on the surface of your cell, it stays there. Well, guess what? It doesn't. And there are studies, and of course the fact checkers are like, oh, this isn't true, this isn't true. I'm a scientist. Don't ask the journalist, ask the scientist. Okay? So this spike protein doesn't stay just in the deltoid. The spike circulates in your blood. It lands in multiple organs in the body. And you know what happens? That spike protein, without the body of the virus present, we did studies in lab animals. In the lab animals, just in, in injecting the spike, with no body of the virus, the spike induced the same diseases COVID-19 induced, the same lung disease, the same vascular disease, the same heart disease, the same brain disease. The spike is the toxin. So again, why are we injecting something into the human body that is the toxin? It is the toxin. It causes the disease. This isn't a vaccine. Okay, so we know that the virus, everybody's heard about this ACE2 receptor. Here's, here's an example. So on the left-hand side, this is a... a one of the cells that lines your blood vessels. I'll, I'll show you a chart in a minute where we have ACE2 receptors. So on the left-hand side, you see kind of in the corner of that upper grid and the bottom grid, these nice smooth lines. On the right-hand side, this is what the spike protein, just the spike alone from the vaccine, is doing to the mitochondria of your cells. That's the engine of your cells. That's what gives you energy, the power of your cells. Compare the left, the smooth, nice, put together, compare the right, blown apart, fragmented. That's from the vaccine, not from the virus, from the vaccine. Okay, so here's the human body. You can see the plethora of sites where we have ACE2 receptors. Now think about it. I mentioned they tell us, oh gosh, the spike stays in your deltoid. It doesn't, it circulates. In the Harvard study in 13 nurses, they showed it circulating for at least two weeks. A lot of people lack something called mRNAs, an enzyme that breaks down the RNA. 
So it may be circulating for even longer. Now you hear, well, gosh, they died, you know, just so long after the shot. So, you know, it was two weeks, three weeks, Hank Aaron, whoever. You know what? That spike's circulating. They, they tried to pull the wool over our eyes and say, well, it couldn't have been the shot. We're too far out. Not if the toxin's still circulating. Not if the toxin's still circulating. The spike is the toxin. Damage to the lungs, like I mentioned. On the left-hand side, healthy lung tissue. Nice spaced out. See, this is what pathologists do. We look at all these cells all day long. It's kind of fun. We're nerds this way. On the right-hand side, see how much more purple and blue that is? That's all inflammation. Why? ACE2 receptors in that lung. Spike binding to it. Inflammatory response. Immune system attacking your own body. Disease from the spike. Disease from your own clot shot investigational vaccine. They keep lying to the American public by calling it a vaccine. They keep taking the word investigational off. It's what they call it in the emergency authorization. They keep not calling it what it is, investigational, an experiment on humanity. And that's what they're doing, and I'm showing you why. Spike is a toxin, crosses the blood-brain barrier, kind of like my brain cells to be where they are and not be blown apart, right? So why in the world would we put a toxin into the human body that's going to disrupt the blood vessels in your brain, allow the spike in there, it'll cause inflammation. The brain fog you hear about from the COVID patients, guess what, you hear about it in the post-vaccinated uh, damaged individuals as well. But no, nobody's hurt by the shot. There's not been one death, there's not been one injury. That's what they tell you. It's a lie. And this is science. Okay, here we go. That's all the blue on top, those are brain cells. All the blue doesn't belong there, that's inflammation from the spike. What about the kiddos? Heart inflammation, guess what? Lots of ACE2 receptors in the heart. And here you can see on the left hand side, see those blue arrows around the white? That's inflammation in the heart. That's not normal. That's after a shot. That's a spike protein landing there. That's your immune system attacking your own tissues. See on the right, that's the uh, red arrows. That's the pericardium, the sac that surrounds your heart. That's inflammation. That doesn't belong there. Once you have heart damage, the heart does not heal itself. Okay, left-hand side, all the blue dots, inflammation. See that gray in the middle? That's early scarring. Guess what? Once a heart cell is damaged, it's damaged forever. It doesn't replace itself with another heart cell. It replaces itself with a scar. So you tell me you want to give a 12-year-old, a 5-year-old, a 13-year-old, an 18-year-old a shot, and we see about a 200 times increase in myocarditis in our society right now. That's a good idea. Let's give a kid a toxin, ruin his heart for life. Stop and think about what we're doing. Insanity. We need to stop the insanity immediately. This is over. Game over. This is no longer good science. This is a poisonous attack on our population. And it needs to stop now. Kidney. Same thing. Kidneys are kind of important. Three things in life. Blood goes round and round. Got to breathe. Got to make pee. You don't do those three things, you die. Kidney, you want to damage your kidney with a, a clot shot? Not a good idea either. Liver, kind of need your liver to detoxify everything in your life. Same thing. Damage to the liver. See all that blue? That's inflammation. Doesn't belong there. Testes, kind of important for the next generation, right? As much as that looks like a lovely heart, see all the blue in it? Inflammation. Same thing in the ovaries. Here's the problem. Essentially absent from the literature, what are they hiding from us? 
okay? Japanese biodistribution study took some doing to find this study. Dr. Um, Bridal up in Canada, and of course he was attacked for telling the truth. The lipid nanoparticle that surrounds the little mRNA they're injecting into people's bodies, yes, a lot of it stays in the deltoid, but it, it circulates as well. Guess where it likes to concentrate? A really biologically active organ, the ovary. And in the Pfizer paperwork and application, it clearly states that in the rats there was a 16% decrease in fertility. One of the most fertile little critters, mammals on the planet. And they, these are not the droids you're looking for, never mind. So what's it doing to humanity? Guess what? The answer is, we don't know. Because we don't have long-term safety data yet. That's the tragedy and the crime in all of this. They're pushing it. It's an experiment. It's emergency authorized. It's not approved. We don't. Humanity is the phase three trial. COVID's a clotting disease, as some of my colleagues have mentioned. After a shot, we as physicians, especially a patient uh, complaining of post-vaccine symptoms, a D-dimer will go up when we have clots. We can't see these clots on x-ray or scan. These are microclots. All these, these inflammatory patterns that I'm showing you are from microclots as well. If we look at this in the patients, we know that they're microclotting. So this is something, Dr. Norchasm, just like uh, Dr. Ursa mentioned, patient who has already had COVID, COVID recovered, broad, beautiful immunity. They're lying to you to say that it's not equal to a vaccine immunity. I love the blue pen rainbow analogy Dr. Urso gave. Screened before vaccine, there's a multiple, multiple fold increase risk of adverse reactions. If you've had COVID and recovered, you get a shot, you hyper rev that immune system, you may be screwed and or dead. All right, I'm gonna reiterate, one cannot find that for which they do not look. Billions of dollars spent on advertising of, again, a toxin into the human body, investigational vaccines. Again, I will say to our agencies, our federal government, where's the funding for real science? They don't want you to see what we're seeing. In the laboratory, I have, a, I have the tissues of a dead man on the back of my desk. I have two more coming next week. Guess what? Just a couple days after a shot, 50-year-old healthy triathlete one of my favorite surgeons in town that I worked with, second shot, mountain biking gone. All right, the other concern I already brought up, we have no long-term safety data. This is what we need to emphasize to society and ask the, the authoritative agencies. What's the risk for cancer after the shot? We don't know. What's the risk for autoimmune disease? We don't know. What's the risk for uh, impairing fertility for a lifetime? We don't know. So why in the world will we willy-nilly push forward at the pace and the rate that we're going without knowing these things? Complete anti-science and a complete attack on us. No more mandatory forcing of employees. How in the world are these hospitals and these employers saying, you can't work for me if you don't sign up to be a subject in an experiment on humanity? Go back to the 1947 Nuremberg Code. We're absolutely violating this as a nation and a people. Where are the billions to do the autopsies? Where are the billions to prove the science? Where are the autopsies? I will go back. Crickets. They're not there. Dismissal by the collusive media of any adverse events or death. 
That's a problem. And what happened to the concept of the Me Too movement? Believe everybody. What happened to believe her? Believe the story. What happened to believe anyone? Why won't they believe the science? They won't believe the science. They dismiss the science. What happened to this movement of believe it until you can disprove it? Gone. Gone. All right, a couple side-by-side -side notes. Really critically, and I'm almost out of time, what we're seeing in the laboratory is the shots dysregulate your immune response. We have very important cells that keep other viruses in check, that keep cancers in check. There's a type of cell called a CD8 killer T cell. Well, there's a study out of Germany and the Netherlands that showed a shifted immune profile. And at the end, their conclusion was, we see a concerning pattern of the cells we normally need to fight off these other things. But the answer is, we don't know for how long that shifted pattern lasts. It's like having eight blockers on the front line. This is Texas, we can talk football. Having eight blockers on the front line and paralyzing three or four of them. But the answer is, we don't know if they're paralyzed for the rest of the game or the rest of their career. And then what we see from this in the laboratory is an uptick of herpes family viruses, molluscum, human papillomavirus, all sorts of viruses, mononucleosis, etc., reactivating. Reactivating at levels, and, and I'm a pathologist, so we see this in the, in the laboratory, and I'm seeing the early signal. Well, guess what else that CD8 cell does? And some receptors on some of these T cells called toll-like receptors, and there's a certain pattern of them. They keep cancer in check. I have seen a 10 to 20-fold increase of uterine cancer in the last six months in my laboratory, and I keep data year to year to year. In the last six months, when did we start the shots? January. How much solid tumor cancer increase are we going to see over the next several years? Probably a lot. What's the real answer? We don't know. And sometimes that's the most honest answer in medicine, is we don't know. A doctor that tells you he or she knows everything, don't believe him. Find a new doctor. Increase of latent viruses, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, I know I'm out of time for questions. Thank you so much, and uh, God bless. I have a theory about that, because when you take about the global agenda and the, these humanists and secularists that are out there, because uh, secularism, you know, it goes hand in hand with the, you know, this, 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 this pandemic with the uh, Jesuits and stuff, uh, but they all have their own agendas. Uh, you know, an atheist or a, sec a secularist would uh, have a different agenda because he's looking more for a, maybe a Marxist-type communist government uh, to set up or replace this Christian setup we've got here, you know, at least under the Constitution right now. So you'd rather have that than... So one thing that these secularists like to push is something called climate change. Climate change, and that's that's a secular view of the world. In that, look, if we if we don't do something about the climate, the world's going to end in twenty years. I mean, look at the polar bears, and uh, you know they they talk about all this. I mean, Al Gore, you know, has been talking about the end of the world since the nineteen eighties, but or whatever it is, whenever he came, whenever he invented the internet, right? But uh, <laughs> that's a joke. Here's a list from the last 50 years of some of the climate forecasts that have never come true. 1967, dire famine forecast by 1975. 1969, 
everyone will disappear in a cloud of blue steam by 1989. 1970, Ice Age by 2000. 1970, America subject to water rationing by 1974 and food rationing by 1980. 1971, New Ice Age coming by 2020 or 2030. 1972, New Ice Age by 2070. 1974, Space Satellites Show New Ice Age Coming Fast. 1974, Another Ice Age? 1974, Ozone Depletion, A Great Peril to Life. 1976, Scientific Consensus, Planet Cooling, Famines Imminent. 1980, Acid Rain Kills Life in Lakes. 1978, No End in Sight to 30-Year Cooling Trend. 1988, Regional Droughts That Never Happened in the 1990s. 1988, Temperatures in D.C. Will Hit Record Highs. 1988, Maldive Islands will be underwater by 2018. They're not. 1989. Rising sea levels will obliterate nations if nothing done by 2000. 1989. New York City's West Side Highway underwater by 2019. It's not. 2000. Children won't know what snow is. 2002. Famine in 10 years if we don't give up eating fish, meat, and dairy. 2004. Britain will be Siberia by 2024. 2008. Arctic will be ice-free by 2018. 2008. Climate genius Al Gore predicts ice-free Arctic by 2013. 2009. Climate genius Prince Charles says we have 96 months to save the world. 2009. UK Prime Minister says 50 days to save the planet from catastrophe. 2009. Climate genius Al Gore moves 2013 prediction of ice-free Arctic to 2014. 2013. Arctic ice-free by 2015, 2014, only 500 days before climate chaos. The global warming and climate change frauds are used by godless secularists who seek political control, power, and money by frightening the general public with stupid delusions to spread fear and panic. They want to replace the confidence and trust in the biblical God with people putting their trust in Big Brother and political tyrants to save them from imagined catastrophes. This is the secularist goal. First, people are deluded by Darwin's theory of evolution, which is a scientific fantasy. For much more on this, see our playlist with 38 videos to refute this anti-God religion with scientific facts. It's called Dealing with Darwin's Metaphysical Evolution Religion. And as you can see, even the first video there features one creationist versus two evolutionists in a debate 
on the question of intelligent creation versus mindless chaos, luck, and chance. And that's what these seculars really believe in, that there is no intelligent creation, but rather everything's just mindless chaos, luck, and chance. And of course, as you go down the list, you get a lot of scientific data refuting this whole fantasy of evolution that the secularists so much believe in. Once people stop believing in God, then the secularists, communists, Nazis, or whoever can hoodwink the people with all kinds of imagined frauds. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. That's from Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you! When Greta Thunberg drew national attention for her comments at the UN in the summer of 2019, some praised her performance as a stinging rebuke to the rich and powerful for failing to put the survival of the planet above their own needs. At just 16 years old, our next guest is already changing the world. For the 2019, she became the biggest voice on the biggest issue facing the planet. Others saw the exploitation of a young woman with emotional problems for propagandistic ends. A mentally ill Swedish child who is being exploited by her parents and by the international left. But there's no question that Thunberg's style of environmentalism, strident, urgent, and critical of global capitalism, has gained a strong foothold in contemporary politics. A 2019 paper from the journal Biosciences, co-signed by more than 11,000 scientists, asserted that planet Earth's population must be stabilized and ideally gradually reduced, and some politicians have questioned the morality of having children at all. There's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult, and it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question, you know, should Is it okay to still have children? Educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to enact. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe? Well, the answer is yes. Fears of overpopulation and ecological disaster are also beginning to manifest on the far right, mixed in with an anti-immigrant animus. The logic was expressed in its most dramatic and twisted form in the 2019 manifestos of mass shooters in both New Zealand and Texas. If we can get rid of enough people, he wrote, then our way of life can become more sustainable. Whether contemporary proponents of these ideas know it or not, they're all intellectual heirs of the misguided 18th century thinker Robert Thomas Malthus, who believed that when human population increased, famine and environmental destruction would ensue. Malthus argued that population would always outstrip food supply because population would grow at exponential rates, whereas food supply could only grow at what he called arithmetic rates. Reason science correspondent Ron Bailey is the author of the 2015 book End of Doom. He didn't recognize that, in fact, crops and livestock are also populations, that they can also be exponentially increased at the same time as a human population was. And that's exactly what happened. Basically, the Malthusian prescription turns out to be completely wrong. In the contemporary world, Malthusianism was most famously expressed through the work of ecologist Paul Ehrlich, especially in his 1968 book, The Population Bomb. The only hope that there is is that we will be able, at least in the United States, through the political process, to get a government that's courageous enough to say, look, we're overpopulated and we have to have population control and start moving in that direction. He predicted that through the 1970s and 80s, hundreds of millions would starve to death. 
He compared humanity to a cancer, writing that we must shift our efforts from treatment of the symptoms to the cutting out of the cancer. Ehrlich, who still holds an endowed professorship at Stanford, didn't respond to our interview request. His proposed solutions included taxing diapers, subsidizing vasectomies, and even spiking food aid and water supplies with sterilizing drugs, and then holding a lottery for access to the antidote. Similarly, ecologist Garrett Hardin in 1968 compared humanity to overbreeding cattle, writing that the freedom to breed is intolerable. The only way to make this system work is to have the family be willing to give up one of its former freedoms, namely the freedom to determine how many children it was going to have. Ehrlich would turn out to be as wrong-headed as Malthus. Over the next half century, calories available per capita steadily increased in just about every region of the world, thanks largely to improved agricultural techniques and technology. Humans were not only consumers, we're also producers. We're able to create new things, to use resources in better and better ways over time. Human creativity can overcome the problems that Malthusians think that we're going to be suffering from overconsumption. We're using fewer and fewer resources to get more and more value over time. And yet world hunger is yet to be eradicated, with the UN reporting that about 10% of the global population is undernourished. And perhaps it's true that past trends don't predict the future. That's a lot of people. How are we going to feed them all? Karen Pitts, who is a member of the Sierra Club and ran a Northern California subcommittee on population growth, is concerned that the world won't be able to accommodate a population that's expected to peak at 11 billion by 2100. She became interested in the topic after a trip to China in 1996. As you flew over the country, every space was taken up by houses and housing. They are overpopulated. Whether or not they produce enough food is a big question, and we really can't take the risk of being wrong. While it's true that farmers will have to become 70% more efficient over the next 30 years to feed the growing population, the technology already exists to accomplish that goal. If all farmers were as efficient as U.S. corn growers, the world could feed 10 billion people today on half as much land. And as humanity continues moving into cities, the environment will likely be better protected, Bailey points out, because this allows for the restoration of forests and other ecosystems on the land migrants leave behind. Something like 90% of people will be living in cities by the end of the century. If that is the case, there'll be less than 2 billion people living on the landscape which means that there'll be far more scope for forests to return, for biodiversity to flourish, and we'll be using a lot less resources over that time. But today's Malthusians are most concerned about the disruptive effects of climate change. Citing global warming, documentarian David Attenborough described humanity as a plague upon the earth. I can't think of a single problem that wouldn't be easier to solve if there were less people. And the biosciences paper, signed by 11,000 scientists, projects total societal collapse if population isn't managed properly. We scientists have a moral obligation to clearly warn humanity of any catastrophic threat. It is more severe than anticipated, threatening natural ecosystems and the fate of humanity. There's a catastrophizing, apocalyptic undercurrent. Our paradigms necessarily uh, determine how we're going to interpret data. There are no such things as self-interpreting data. But this, anyway, is how the, the majority of the climatological community looks at the history of temperatures. You see a period there called the Holocene Maximum. 
During that period, temperatures were much, much warmer than they are today, and it looks as if for the vast majority of ecosystems, that was the healthiest the world has been since the last ice age. You also see two small humps over toward the right end. The first one is called the Roman Warm Period, the second one the Medieval Warm Period. Again, both of those are warmer than recent temperatures. Both of those were healthier times for the ecosystem and healthier times for human civilization. And then toward the end, you see what's called the Little Ice Age that lasted from roughly 1350 to 1850, when temperatures were much colder. The Thames River in London froze over every year. You could walk across the Hudson from New York on ice every winter. Uh, Greenland uh, refroze at its outer edges. It never, never melted toward the inside at all. But, you know, the, the, uh, the Vikings had colonized Greenland during the medieval warm period. The colonies died out during the Little Ice Age because the glaciers came down close to the edge of the, the uh, island again. It's been warmer before now. Total warming since 1850, roughly the end of the Little Ice Age, is about 0.6 to 0.8 degrees centigrade and it hasn't yet brought us back to the warmth of the medieval warm period. Here are two different reconstructions of temperature over the last 2,000 years, and you can see in neither case uh, do, do we reach the temperatures of the, N, uh, the MWP. Recent warming gave way to cooling, and it's no cause for alarm. After the cooling of the last five to seven years, global average temperature in June of 2009 had returned to its 1980 level. August's average was about 23 hundredths of a degree centigrade above the, the mean, but monthly anomalies can rise and fall considerably, making a century-long gain of about seven-tenths of a degree centigrade unalarming and well within natural bounds. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but uh, certainly if you... By the way, if you would like to get a copy of this PowerPoint, email me... E. Beisner, that's E-B-E-I-S-N-E-R, at AOL.com, and just ask for the PowerPoint presentation. I'll send it to you as an attachment, and then you can study it in more detail. The Earth has cooled for about the last seven years. If you look toward the right-hand end of this, starting at around 2002, you can see the general downward trend. There are ups and downs through it all, but there's been a general downward cooling trend enough to have wiped out at this point, about half of the warming from 1979 to the present. Contrary to predictions, the oceans are cooling too. Uh, the NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies predicted the line there labeled GISS, GISS, as what ocean temperatures would do over this period from 2003 to 2009. Uh, they predicted a possible lower limit of the warming, and the reality as measured by two different scientists, Willis and Lola, is represented in the two lines down at the bottom. Instead of warming, the oceans have been cooling. 